Got a favorite Kate Bush song that you just want to leave a couple of thoughts on? Well, you can call our hotline at any time and your thoughts might be played on a future episode. That number is 1-757-349-6886. That's 1-757-349-6886. Hope to hear from you soon. Strange Phenomena now has a Patreon page. If you would like to support the show, then you can visit patreon.com slash Podcast to see what wonderful rewards we're offering for your support of the show. Thank you. And now, on with the show. I've already been blown away by what she's doing vocally on a lot of the other tracks in terms of, and to the point where I think she's actually sounds like she may be damaging her vocal cords, you know, mm-hmm. just doing incredible stuff. She's using different vocal effects with her voice that she's never done before. She's mm-hmm. she's being very harsh. And then on Get Out of My House, it's just like she sort of dances from an almost sort of operatic vibrato to uh, uh, playing with kind of Germanic uh, chanteuse like uh, Marlena Dietrich kind of thing. And then at the end, it's the donkey prey at the end. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. The, the, the paranoia and the lyric, it's just, it leaves me speechless right now. When I first became a Kate Bush fan and just listened to all of her music chronologically, this was always one of my favorites from the get-go. I, it's my second favorite song of hers after Night of the Swallow. So I'm really excited to talk about it because it hit me so hard musically and thematically and just in every possible way. I think it's one of the most epic songs ever. I mean, her first first four albums, her album closers leave you completely taken aback. Mm -hmm. And I feel like she almost climaxes with it here. Welcome to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I'm Cecily Link, and this week we're finally ending the album tracks from Kate Bush's fourth album, The Dreaming. We're ending with Get Out of My House. Wow. Oh my goodness. Do we have quite an episode for you guys this week? Oh my goodness. Because we are now on the last album track. Oh my goodness. From the fourth album from Kate Bush. We're now on Get Out of My House. And I got to tell you, probably when this came through on your feed, or if you're just tuning into the show on this episode, hey, hello, welcome to the show. Wow, we got a long episode here. I try to keep my episodes not too long, but this episode has so much stuff to dig into for this song. So we've got two big fans of Get Out of My House that you're going to get to hear from this week. The first fan is Zoe P, who's been on a lot of the Dreaming episodes. She was on the Dreaming album intro episode, the Never Forever intro episode, the Lionheart intro episode. She's been on a lot of the episodes And in that time, we've also become really good friends. So she's going to continue to be on the show throughout the rest of the run, just kind of here and there doing songs and stuff like that. 
The second fan that I got to talk with is Richard Campbell. Now, Richard Campbell, maybe you might vaguely remember him from the Lionheart season. He contacted me saying that he wanted to talk about In Search of Peter Pan. So he was on one of my first multi-guest episodes talking about that song. And we're going to get to hear from him again for this episode. So without further ado, let's get right into it. And here's what our two guests had to say about what the song means to them. We're going to start first with... Oh, Richard Campbell. And we're calling all the way to Canada. Yay! Yay! Yay. Oh, am I supposed to say that? Oh, <laughs> you don't to have to. <laughs> you don't have to. I'm in Toronto, Canada. Toronto, Canada. Cool. And now you've, I know you've been on the show before. I think the last time you were on was for a Lionheart song, I think. Yeah, In Search of Peter Pan. There we go. Yes, you were one of my, that was one of the first episodes I did with multiple people. So you were a part of it. Yes, that was good. I listened to that. That was great. Yay. So we're here to talk about Get Out of My House. Now, um, what is it about Get Out of My House that makes it one of your favorite Kate Bush songs? What's your story? Oh, it's really hard. It's really hard. Well, you know, the album, the whole album, The Dreaming, was such a had such a huge impact on me uh, when it came out. Uh, I think the first track I heard off of the album was the was The Dreaming itself, the title track. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had heard uh, stuff from Never Forever, and I had been living in England um, for quite a while, and then I came back. And uh, of course, uh, over in England, Kate Bush was huge uh, in a way that she wasn't so much in North America. So I was there for um, uh, probably eight or nine months living at first in Surrey and then moving down to London or moving up to London, pardon me. And uh, I, uh, part of the time there I was staying at uh, university campus, hanging out in residence rooms with people who had like classic posters of Kate on their wall, you know, mm-hmm. like she was like massive there. And, um, you know, here it, it just wasn't quite, <laughs> it wasn't the same, let's put it mm-hmm. that way. So, um, I, I kind of I didn't have my record collection with me in 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 the UK. I wasn't playing her a lot. I don't I didn't own Never Forever, um, so it was like kind of this quiet. There was this quiet time where I was living in England, and all I heard was stuff. I'd go to live gigs, and that's how I heard music most of the time. I didn't have. Uh, uh, anything to play music on. Uh, when I was in Guilford, I, I played music on my friend's stereo and we hung out and played music. But when I was in London, I had nothing. And then I bought myself a little cassette player because I was kind of losing my mind and trying to get my friends in Canada to <laughs> send me recordings of mm-hmm. albums and stuff. Um, and I came back to Canada and I was living at my parents' house and I was listening to a radio station called CFNY which was an alternative radio station in Toronto. And uh, Toronto was one of the few cities in Canada that had an alternative freeform FM radio station, which meant that the DJs, the DJs were playing whatever they wanted Mm -hmm. in whatever order they wanted. It's a, a art form that is long gone, but it was going strong in the early uh, from the early 70s probably until the mid 80s then it started to get compartmentalized and corporatized 
But around the time of the Dreaming, this radio station was still a small, independent um, radio station with a huge reach, though, because it was the city of Toronto. And I think they were still in Brampton at the time. And um, they played Kate Bush. Nobody else was playing her. But they played her. And they were playing her before I went to England and after I got back. I mean, the first time I heard Kate Bush may well have been on this radio station. So I'm back and it's like uh, I come back and uh, I did some acting that summer again, not really hearing the radio much. And I moved back down to my parents uh, waiting to do the next acting gig. And <laughs> I'm listening to all of this song comes on, The Dreaming. And I went, what the hell is this? And um, my younger brother, who now lives in England, he, had the, he, he got the record at some point. And um, I played the whole album and I just couldn't believe what I was hearing because it was such a radical departure from anything she had done before. So there was that to get used to. All of a sudden, uh, you know, she was using the Fairlight heavily, uh, mm -hmm. eschewing the, uh, the use of strings and orchestration and what you might term traditional, a traditional rock sound. And this would be not long after Peter Gabriel's third album, which had a big, and, and his use of the Fairlight mm -hmm. had a big influence on her. Uh, and I think she just went, I'm going Fairlight all the way. And I like the gated drum sound that's on this Gabriel album. I'm going with this sound, but it's going to be me. It's going to be my way of doing this. And so the use of multi-tracking of her voice, the, the sound of the gated drum, the, the use of the fair light, everything about it was, it was like a revolution in sound uh, for her and in music and for her. Mm -hmm. So that took some getting used to, but I immediately loved this album. I immediately thought this is the best thing she's ever done. I was blown away that she produced it herself. Um, unheard of at the time, right? Like right. so few artists at that time were producing their own stuff, let alone a woman, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I knew she was a genius, but holy smokes, she's now producing her own albums. She's like taken total creative control and she's gone this in this direction with the sound. Um, I'm not going to, I won't talk about the reaction to the album commercially or any of that. I mean, there were, I'm sure you'll speak with people who will speak to that. Um, yep. I'm just going to stick with, um, my the impact on me was tremendous and i i honestly feel like this was the album that made me a huge fan of hers um so um other people will probably talk about all the other songs i mean there were some still some uh ballad more ballad oriented stuff where there was an acoustic piano like uh night of the swallow where uh, um uh, where she used uh, Irish uh, instruments and uh, but very much the acoustic piano sound and all the love also but um, even all the love has got incredible uh, synthesizer mm -hmm. uh, uh, Phillips in it and um, to create the mood and, and I mean it's not just piano on its own I'm not saying she abandoned the piano completely, but um, 
So I'll, I'll, with that in mind, I'll just get right to the highlight. Every I love every song on the album, but uh, I'll get right to the um, to the song we're talking about. Uh, get out of my house. Uh, uh, I've already been blown away by what she's doing vocally on a lot of the other tracks in terms of, and to the point where I think she's actually sounds like she may be damaging her vocal cords, you know, Mm -hmm. just doing incredible stuff. Um, Get out of my house was just such is, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think it's the strangest track on the album? (laughs) I I, 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 do, do you like in terms of like when you would have first heard it, like, I, I, I don't know how you uh, heard Kate Bush but, mm-hmm. uh, at first, Cecily. I, I heard, you know, I had the advantage of hearing the early albums and then going, what the hell is this? Mm-hmm. So, I, But for me, I, I, I heard this album and I went, oh, this is like a deliberate departure. It's, the music is strange. It's haunting. It's it's uh, it's deliberately jarring. um She's using different vocal effects with her voice that she's never done before. She's mm-hmm. she's being very harsh uh, at times, uh, like in um, a, a, a Houdini. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that she does with her voice, you're just going, oh, God. Um, atonal at times. And then on Get Out of My House, it's just like she sort of dances from an almost sort of operatic vibrato to uh, uh, playing with kind of Germanic uh, chanteuse like uh, Marlena Dietrich kind of thing like when she's going I am the concierge very theatrical mm-hmm. and then at the end once it's the, the the donkey prey at the end I mean it's just mind-blowing mm-hmm. and um, the, the the paranoia and the lyric and the 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 it's just anyway that leaves me speechless right now. And now we're going to hear from the second fan I got to speak with about Get Out of My House. So Zoe P has been on many of the episodes for The Dreaming because this is her favorite album as well as mine. And so we're going to get to hear from her and what Get Out of My House means to her and about how this is actually one of her absolute favorite Kate Bush songs. So here we go. I'm Zoe. I am not happy to be finally ending the dreaming. I know. I, must, I just wish we could talk about the dreaming for 10 more years um, or whatever, or eternity. Um, but yes, I'm here. This is one of the, when I first became a Kate Bush fan and just listened to all of her music chronologically, this was always one of my favorites from the get-go. I, it's my second favorite song of hers after Night of the Swallow. So I'm really excited to talk about it because it hit me so hard musically and thematically, and just in every possible way. I think it's one of the most epic songs ever. I mean, with her album closers, I mean, Breathing, and then, well, well there's Kagan, her first, first four albums, her album closers leave you completely taken aback. Mm-hmm. And I feel like she almost climaxes with it here. So then she can only, like, I'm not saying go down in terms of quality, but go down in terms of tone after this. Like, The Morning Fog is such a chill way to end the album Hounds of Love because it's like, well, I made the most wild ending to an album you could possibly make, so mm-hmm. it's only going to get, I can only go to chill from here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what an album closer. Oh my god. Like, the first time I heard this song, it freaked the hell out of me. Even more than Houdini did. This one just 
oh my god the atmosphere and everything and it's just oh just everything hitting you at once i mean that's the point it's supposed to feel yeah. really oppressive <laughs> because you're supposed to feel like the narrator and it's i think it's interesting that you said that it freaked you out instead of that you found it silly because i think that there's a very a lot of people and i mm-hmm. get it find it very silly because of the hee-haws there's a, there's a part of me that wonders how much of that I find this silly or laughing at it comes from discomfort. I think people, I mean, people often laugh at things because that make them uncomfortable yeah. as opposed to because they find them funny. And I think that like just hearing something that is so unusual being done in the song makes people uncomfortable. Even though like I can definitely get why people think it's silly. I mean, it's, they're, they're literally hee-hawing. Hello, it's silly. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that a lot of the like dismissal of this song also comes from a place of discomfort. And something I talked about in the last Houdini episode was talking about this album is kind of a, a form of unlocking, especially mm-hmm. for women in music, like to do really wild things that they had that was not considered okay before. Um, when I'm thinking about music, I mean, obviously many other women artists were doing interesting and dark things. Um, I feel like there's another artist who I really like, although not in the same way as Kate Bush, Diamanda Galas. And she has, um, but I need to look up the names, but she has some music from the late 70s that is basically just her, like, Dreaming. It makes the dreaming look kind of like Barney the dinosaur or something, to be honest. <laughs> like she makes the, I, the way I describe her is I, I say she basically makes Kate Bush look like Britney Spears, who I love. So no, uh, so no, this there. But there's not, I feel like the he hawing, there's in terms of more pop, but she was always more on the fringes. And Kate Bush was a, in England at least, a popular artist. So to hear this from a popular artist is, um, is really, I think, like, what the hell is she doing? It's a mix of what the hell is she doing? It's ridiculous versus what the hell is she doing? Women aren't supposed to do this. Women are, mm-hmm. I mean, women are supposed to push boundaries. And yes, the Diamond Glass works are the lit from the famous ones. There's night. Well, actually, that's the same year. I saw it earlier. The same year as the Dreaming. Um, the Lidmies of Satan is her kind of famous work from 1982. I thought it was late 70s, but besides that, it's kind of hard for me to think of work by a woman where she's going this batshit mm-hmm. before this time. Yeah, I can't think of many either. Yeah, like there's not, I mean, there's a lot of music I love that's by a woman that's very dark, but not in a, not in this like mad woman in the attic type of way. <laughs> yeah. Unhinged, it's unapologetically unhinged way. Um, but even though it is unhinged, it's also very controlled because the production is so, tight I mean and there's so much thought behind everything in it which we'll discuss and also um yeah and everything relates like everything about the way the production is done that you found scary relates to the lyrics and why it should feel that way and all of that that we'll get into dream time in the bush from Zigzag Magazine UK 1982 by Chris Needs. It's meant to be a bit scary. It's just the idea of someone being in this place and there's something else there. You don't know what it is. The track kept changing in the studio. This is something that's never happened before on any album. That one was maybe half the length it is now. The guitarist got this really nice riff going and I got this idea of two voices, a person in the house trying to get away from this thing but it's still there. So in order to get away, they changed their form. First into a bird trying to fly away from it. 
a thing can change as well. So that changes into the squint and starts blowing all icy. The idea is to turn around and face it. You've got this image of something turning around and going, ah, just to try and scare it away. Well, the first time I ever heard Get Out of My House was when I got the Dreaming album. Um, At this point, uh, when I started to become a little more interested in Kate's music, that was kind of 2005-ish. It was actually right before Ariel was released and everybody was talking about, oh my goodness, she's going to be releasing her first album in 12 years. And I'm thinking, oh, well, this is a convenient time to be a fan because, okay, you're going to have a new album. Yay, woohoo. And uh, so at that time, I got the whole story. I actually got it from a used CD store that no longer exists um, right across the river in uh, Norfolk here in Southern Virginia. It was called Relative Theory Records. And they also used to have like indie bands who'd play there. But they sold used CD and used vinyl. And I loved going in there because you could just get all sorts of cool stuff for like dirt cheap. And, you know, I was a poor college student. And I found the whole story. Yes. I found a copy of the whole story. And that's also at that time, like I got um, my friend at that time. She also got uh, Little Earthquakes from Tori Amos and a couple other right. ones. Because we were like getting into like like the really cool women, you know, and everything. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I had the whole story and that gave me a taste of her music. But I decided. Was that the um, box set or, or the, the single disc? Yeah, it was the uh, single, uh, the single right. disc greatest hits um, that right. I got. Okay. So I'm confusing it with this woman's work. Sorry. Oh no, this woman's work was the uh, the big box set. That's kind of like yeah, the one that right. was released, except oh, it was just as of 1989. Yeah. Um. So I got the whole story and I liked it, and then I just started to explore her other music. I mm-hmm. got into the dreaming. I think that might have been the. First first album of hers that i bought and i was yeah. a little bit wary of it like uh, people were saying oh it's just going to be this weird album oh it's you're either really going to love it or you're really going to hate it and yeah i thought well okay i'm just going to go right on into it because why not and it would i remember listening to it on my headphones i had loaded up on my ipod was listening to this and going this is a little bit kooky, a little strange, but I can get in this. And then it got to get out of my house, and I was scared nearly shitless. Yeah. I thought it was one of the scariest songs I had ever heard. And yeah. I mean, if you're talking about what we're talking about, the donkey braying at the end, which I, which I have an interesting interpretation of, um, I. It, rather than laughing, it that part scared me because I was not expecting her to start braying like a donkey, and yeah. that was the honestly the most scary part of that song. It it felt like a haunted house contained in one song. Get out of my yeah. house. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, I wasn't laughing at her donkey bray, <laughs> but I was just blown away. Like what what a way to end an album, right? Mm-hmm. And like to take you on like back when people listen to albums as opposed to, you know, playlists, even, even if you just played one side of the record, it starts with the dreaming and tonight of the swallow, which is just a gorgeous piece of music mm-hmm. into all the love, which is another gorgeous piece of music into Houdini, which is like a, l- a slightly more difficult piece. 
Uh, and then in To Get Out of My House, it's like, which comes out of nowhere. How can this be the same person that did uh, Them Heavy People? You know? <laughs> <laughs> How can this be the same woman who wrote The Man with the Child in His Eyes? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, uh, it just it absolutely floored me. I just went, well, well, she's a genius. You know, it's like, she's a freaking genius. Like, this is like bigger than, it was definitely my favorite album of, uh, whatever year that was, 83 when it came out? I don't know. 82. It was my favorite album of that year. And um, I I can't remember what all else came out that year, but I just remember going, oh, this is it, you know. The vocal is just, it's unbelievable. And I mean, um, and then then she follows this album with... uh, House of Love. It's just too. It's too much, really. You know, it's too much. It's like it's almost too much mm-hmm. that that she did that. And uh, and I and you know the the albums that followed, like the, um, later, Central World is excellent as well. And so is and I. I have come to love Red Shoes. I used to only like about half of it, and now I, I actually like the whole thing. But um, to follow this album with. And then, of course, everybody embraced that one mm-hmm. because everybody was ready for it, you know. Um, everybody, uh, uh, like, there had been a couple of years, two or three years, for people to absorb what was happening in music, generally speaking, which was this revolution in technology and sound. Oh, yeah. And so all of those people that was, were at first resistant to this kind of sound, to... Uh, what musicians like Gabriel, Robert Fripp, um, or even some of the poppy new wave bands were doing, mm-hmm. you know, orchestral maneuvers in the dark. All oh, that. There, were a, yeah, there were a lot of people who just hated that music, right? And uh, so around the time this record came out, there would have been a severe sort of what the hell, you know? Mm-hmm. There's nothing. There's where's where's Weathering Heights? Where's the Weathering Heights on this record? Yeah. And I mean, of course, she has spoken about the difficulty, the difficult time she was going through in her life while she was making the record, the difficulty she had making the record. Uh, she's making it in London. She wasn't that happy when she was making it. And she soon left London after making it and created her own studio in her own house. Yep. But, um, but. I'm just glad we got this record out of it, you know. And it, and and up and up until recently, I feel like it's the the great forgotten record. I used to think it was never forever, but yes, I totally agree. I mean, just is this within whether it's this song and its use of the clattering drums and also really cool little world instruments because there's there's something yeah. there's a a drum talk. Um, there's some talking drums that are used in this song. Yes. And, yes. and of course, across this whole album, she's using a lot more of the fair light and sampling, like sampling weird things like slamming a car door. And that's how you get the dreaming yeah. thing. Like that yeah. kind of stuff we take for granted now. And I don't Absolutely. think people, uh, you know, give her enough credit for like, Hey, here's somebody who was doing something really way different and cool and recording all sorts of random stuff and turning this into music. And people forget that. They really do. Yeah. So, I agree. Um, when I listen to a lot of the music that my daughter listens to, um, uh, well, my daughter's listening to a lot of um, old music as well now. Mm-hmm. She's 17. Um, 
But when I listen to the production on a lot of these sort of, I, I, I don't know what to call this music that she likes so much. It's mostly kind of R&B, but it's kind of downbeat, like it's slow and it's, um, the, the lyrics are always kind of depressing yeah. and, uh, and atmosphere, but the, but the production, like I was listening to this Billie Eilish track yesterday <laughs> in the car with her, her. Mm-hmm. and, um, I don't remember the name of the song, but there was, they, it, it, they were deliberately breaking her voice up as if it was, uh, just falling apart. And it was happening in this, in the music as well as her voice. And, and I remember I, the first time I heard it, I was in the car with my daughter. I said, this is, this is the, on the track, right? This isn't, this isn't our car. Our mm-hmm. car stereo isn't going, going bad, is it? You know, and she said, no, no, this is on the, this is on the song. And I just went, wow. But I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that people do tech, technologically wise now. Um, technologically wise. That's a good phrase that I just invented there. Um <laughs> Technologically, anyway, there's all kinds of incredible effects that you can do in the studio now with Pro Tools, let alone, you know, that where, mm-hmm. which was much more difficult back then. And, you know, the, you look at photographs of what synths looked like back back in 1982, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they were like huge machines. And like, I mean, if you look at pictures of the Fairlight and stuff, um, yeah, I have a friend who plays synthesizer and he has a beautiful collection of uh, vintage synths. And uh, and then he'll take you over to his new keyboard, and he'll say, "I can recreate the sound of that synthesizer by pressing this button." Mm-hmm. And then my then my my little keyboard will sound just like a Fairlight, and it will be able to do everything a Fairlight can do. Only it, I can put it in this case and take it with me anywhere I go. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 amazing. So um, I just go like, "Wow!" Like she was just. It would have just been amazing to be a fly on the wall in the studio with her. Uh, working with her colleagues on this stuff. Yeah, so this is the last track on The Dreaming. It's never been released in any other capacity. It was never a B-side for anything. It certainly wasn't touched for director's cut or Before the Dawn. was never performed on TV. So this is an, an album track, but mm-hmm. I mean, what an album track. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of infamous amongst Kate Bush fans is like the donkey one, the mm-hmm. hee-haw song. I call her the joke, I call her the hee-haw bitch. But, um, <laughs> but, it's, but within that joking, there is a seriousness, which we will discuss. Yeah, and I mean, we were kind of talking a little bit about the production and I mean, the drums, because this is a very drum-heavy track. Honestly, this this is one of the most Peter Gabriel-esque songs, I think, on this album, especially with the the use of the pounding drums and an interesting little instrument. Um, I had to look Mm -hmm. into this um, called a talking drum. There's somebody who's credited as something called drum talk. Looks like Esmail Sheik was his name. Um, There's drums from Preston Heyman, bass by Jimmy Bain, Alan Murphy playing electric guitar, Kate on the piano and Fairlight. Her brother is on the backing vocals and her engineer is Paul Hardiman is doing the Eeyore sounds at the end. Yeah, I was going to ask in terms of, I'm a little confused, in terms of backing vocals versus Eeyore, like, so the male responds, like, what you talking about, I will not let you in. The man who responds to that, is that 
Patty or is that Paul Hardeman? I think that's her brother. I was listening to okay, that today. And so Paul Hardeman's only doing the the hee haws. I think so. It's also funny how they automatically call him Eeyore because this it's such an angry hee haw. It's not a sad Eeyore hee haw. But yeah, mm-hmm. if you talk to Kate Bush fans, you're like, oh, like, for example, in the BBC Kate Bush documentary, um, they they're like, oh yeah, that's the one where she's just like hee haw and kind of laughing it off. But mm-hmm. I think that. Uh, laughing it off, as I'll talk about, kind of relates to the laughing off of and dismissal of women's pain and expressions of rage, which is very much what the song is. Yeah. Um, what I thought was interesting is, um, you know, I was looking up drum talk, like, what is that? Um, well, actually, a talking drum is an hourglass shaped drum from West Africa whose pitch can be regulated to mimic the tone and prosody of human speech. It has two drum heads connected by leather tension cords, which allow the player to modulate the pitch of the drum by squeezing the cords between their arm and body. A skilled player is able to play whole phrases. Most talking drums sound like a human humming, depending on the way they are played. Similar hourglass-shaped drums are found in Asia, but they're not used to mimic speech, although the Itaca is used to mimic vocal music. So, and I think, I don't know exactly where it would be in there, but I wonder if that da 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 I think that's the drum talk. And so they've they've pitched this this drum to be able to play different notes and stuff on it. It's it's actually quite cool. I was looking at this going, hmm, this is interesting. It's like her using in a little bit of world music, which she's known for doing and putting it into the song. I really love that intro. I, that's one thing I think that immediately gripped me about the song is that dun, 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 dun. I just really always love the propulsive driving beat of it. And then yeah. everything about it kind of going in accordance, like the way, she's, the way she says the words are kind of very much in line with the beat. Like, even though, like, I really admire her writing, this is even, and it is my second favorite song of hers, the lyrics don't actually, are particularly literary or rich, as opposed to something like in All the Love, only tragedy allows the release of love and grief never normally seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is much more straightforward. Well, on the surface, straightforward. We'll get into some metaphors. Yep. But, um, but it's all about kind of everything being part of the overall wall of the use the Phil Spector term, overall wall of sound. And everything, and the vocals contributing to that too. When you lift the doors, you pause in the doorway, so I thought stole you away, I was about to pull you away. So I run into the home, into the corridor, there's a door in the house, I hear the lift descending, I hear it hit the landing, yeah and and even within that it's it yeah this one is so much about the beat and even the chords themselves it's only two chords in the entire song um (laughs) you don't even because it's not as it's not about having weird chord progressions and everything it's it's all about that driving rhythm that's m- making you feel like you're stuck in a haunted house or just stuck in mm-hmm. stuck in your mind and 
Yeah, it's so much about those drums that make it very, to me, Peter Gabriel-esque, especially like what he was experimenting with around this time where he had his album Security, which played back to back with the Dreaming. You can tell that she had been hanging out with him. Not that, not saying she ripped him off. Anyway, and he was, anyway, and he's hanging out with her. He's also Kate. Mm-hmm. I like to say he's also Kate Bush-esque. Yes. <laughs> so I mean, they were, you could tell they were hanging out with each other and... Uh, these these drums and the like the, the use of different things makes me think. Oh, this sounds like something it could be on security. Mm-hmm. Or maybe anything security could be on the dreaming. Anything, yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah. I'm going to push back on you as much. It's going to push back, and oh, this drives me nuts. It's just a female Peter Gabriel, like. Uh, but I get what you mean. I get, and you're not coming from that place of like no. saying, "Oh, she's a Peter Peter female Gabriel." Ah, female Peter Gabriel to discredit her in any way. Oh yeah. So yeah, that's what the different people playing on the song, and she's she's spoken a lot about this too. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we were also talking about like kind of our first impressions of the song. I know you said it gripped you. For me, it frightened me. It frightened the hell think, out of me. I think it, it that kind of reminds me of what we were talking about in terms of the dreaming intro episode. I think like you're talking about just for me growing up, I was always into the darkest stuff possible. So it kind of made sense that this song and this album in general was always my favorite. Whereas for people, I don't know, like, I'm not saying, oh, I'm better because I'm so goth or whatever. But like, mm-hmm. that's just more of it's always like, ever since I was little, my parents used to call me Wednesday Adams um, because for reasons that, because I was like Wednesday Adams. So it just kind of makes sense, I guess, that this wouldn't, I mean, it, it didn't scare me. It just sounded, things that tend to scare a lot of people, I just find interesting. From a 1985 issue of Musician Magazine. Kate, I'm absolutely fascinated by the states that people throw on, throw and put on. And, you know, I think that it is the most fascinating thing there is to write about, really, the way that people just distort things and the things they think and the things they do. And it's really fun for me if I can find an area of the personality that is slightly exaggerated or distorted. And if I feel I can identify with it enough, then try to cast a person as perfectly as I can in terms of that particular character trait, especially if I don't really show those kind of things myself. Take anger, for instance. It's really fun to write from the point of view of someone who's really angry, like in Get Out of My House on the last album, because I very rarely show anger, although obviously I do sometimes feel it. Now, um, I know there aren't, it, it is much more of a rhythmic sort of song, but mm. I have to say for me, one of my favorite lines is in the verse that starts with, this house is as old as I am. This house knows all I have done. They come with their weather hanging round them. I yeah. love that. They come with their weather hanging around. It makes me think of like people coming to coming into your life who are just all they are. They're just drama. Like there's yeah. nothing good about them and they're just they're trying to bring you into it, but and you don't want any of that and you know, the next line is but they can't knock my door down. And I yeah. just I love that line. Yeah, me too. I like that too. I like, I also like this. I, I, I won't do the stutter that she does, but this house is full of my mess. This house is full of mistakes. This house is full of madness. This house is full of, full of, full of fight. Mm-hmm. And like, while she's singing that she's punctuating it with this high pitched, almost shriek 
saying slamming, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, it was ages before I, you know, because uh, my copy of The Dreaming doesn't have the lyrics. So um, it was a long time before I realized that, that she was singing slamming, you know, punctuating that verse with slamming, the door slamming, you know, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Just amazing. Anyway. Now, what are some of your favorite, now do you also have like a favorite vocal moment? Because I know for me, it's when she goes into that, no stranger's feet will enter me and it's semi-operatic, but then she's got Mm -hmm. the other track of her screaming, get out of my house behind her. Yeah, yeah, that's just, yeah, that's probably mine too, actually. I just love, I love the quality of her voice when she's singing that. It's, um. You know more about singing than I do, Cecily, but, um, <laughs> but I, uh, so you probably know the technical term for it, but I mean, you, we've known that she has a great singing voice with a lot of range, but uh, up until this album, I didn't r- know that she had a, that she could bring such a strong sort of, like I say, it's al- almost operatic. It's not, it's not opera it's not opera clearly but it's a strong voice with a big bottom end to it do you know what i mean mm-hmm. and uh the vibrato is intense and she's singing lower than at that time we had come to expect i mean the whole album was a revelation in terms of her voice for anybody who i don't know she's the one with the funny high-pitched voice right and you know i hate that mm. <laughs> and on this album she was doing she was showing that she was much more capable than of, of greater range than that. And on this song alone, she does, I don't know, six or seven different things with her voice. Oh yeah. But I just, I just love that. Um, I just love that, that verse. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, it's just like, I don't, I don't, it's too big to describe almost. It's such a big song. It really is. You know, there's just so much going on in it, you know? That I, I swear to God, if I ever meet her, if she isn't too bored by the conversation, I'm going to ask her about this song. I'm just going to say, I don't care what it's about. I just want to know what, how did you, you know, I, you know, I just would like some insight into what does it start as? Like you just some played it on the piano and said, okay, now let's, now let's go, you know, mm-hmm. like, or I know that drums are very important to her and, she may have started with the the drum beat, you know, and uh, and taken it from there. Like it may have been, she heard the the rhythm of the drum in her head and said, "Okay, that's what I want. That's the backing. That's the the rhythm." And now I'll build the song on top of that. I didn't even quite know what the song was about the first few times I heard it because, you know, I'm I'm one of those people who sometimes mishears words. So I initially thought it was just a song about a woman kicking an ex-lover out of her house. And like, uh, because I, I, because I was so taken with the sonics of the album, it, it was later when I started to like really invest energy into trying to catch every word that she was saying in every song and get out of my house, uh, you know, plus <laughs> I have to confess that some of the stereos I was playing music on back in those days weren't the best. But um, 
when I discovered that it was actually about kind of this paranoid uh, person going, I'm going to lock myself away in this house and, and that the house has a personality, like personality. It's like uh, that movie, um, the haunting. Have you seen that movie? I have not. There's this movie that Robert Wise directed and I mean, they remade it. It was terrible um, in the nineties, I think, but there's this movie called the haunting with Julie Harris who was a great American, one of the great American stage actresses. She's in East of Eden with James Dean and a number of other movies. Um, but she was a noted stage actress. She won like five Tonys in her lifetime. I, I think um, somebody just broke her record, but I can't remember who. Anyway, um, uh, uh, it's about a group of people that go to a house that's haunted. Uh, like... Uh, I don't know what they're called. People who are special specialize in haunted oh, uh, houses. Paranormal investigators. Yeah, uh, but it's like 1960. I think the movie was made, so it's not like they didn't have any equipment or anything. They just go into the house and they're going to be in the house and they're going to suss it out, right? And mm-hmm. um, I'm doing this from memory. And the house has this personality, and and, and there's a story behind it. And uh, I don't want to spoil the ending, but. This one person played by Julie Harris becomes more and more um, uh, attached and imprisoned by the house as opposed to some of the others. And all this terribly frightening stuff happens in the movie. And it's quite ironic because it's directed by the same guy who directed The Sound of Music. And it's the exact opposite. It's this black and white horror film Hmm. from 1960. And it's not gory. There's not a lot of violence. But it's spooky as hell. Anyway, if you ever get to see it anyway this song reminds me a great deal of that and you don't you you don't know whether she's she's a a person who has like been so damaged by the outside world that she's decided that this house that knows her secrets and knows how she feels is has taken her prisoner or whether she's in love do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. oh i have to tell you this Mm -hmm. um did we talk about this last time there's a guy I might be a woman for all I know. His YouTube name is Mr. Mars. Did we talk about this last time? I think you might have mentioned him. Spelled M-A-R-R-S. Mr. Mars. Mr. Just like M-R dot Mr. Mars. Mm -hmm. And he makes videos. And he's made a slew of videos for Kate Bush songs. And some of them are... Uh, they're the best. Like, I mean, a lot of homegrown Kate Bush videos get made and you watch them and you go, oh, that's okay. Or, oh, God, this is awful or whatever. <laughs> or nice try. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are interesting. But his are, most of his are sensational. I can't recommend them enough. Now, the last time I looked was around the time she had the pop-up shop in London and the albums mm-hmm. were all re-released and... A lot of his videos were gone, so I thought that perhaps she had said, pull up mm. to the record company. Uh, but that usually means they're gone temporarily, just as the, you know, a McCartney did this once. He pulled a whole bunch of stuff off of the internet because he was re releasing his, his catalog and uh, he wanted people to, you know, to spend some money. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than listen to the, his songs on YouTube. So he pulled all this stuff. 
But uh, anyway, I think a lot of them are there. Anyway, if Get Out of My House is there, you have to watch it, Cecily. You have mm-hmm. to watch it. Uh, if if uh, I will look after we finish here to see if it's there, and I'll send you the link. It actually is. As you were talking, I pulled it up, and I'm going to put it it's in the there. show notes. Yeah, and I'm going to put it in the show okay. notes so that um, so all, all you listeners, you can click on the link, and you can go to it, and you can see what we're talking about. Folks. It's pretty cool. It's pretty spooky. Just like this song is. Oh my Just goodness! Just like this song. <laughs> it's it's pretty spooky. Such and he always gets a, a little cameo of her in the video too. Like you'll see, she'll appear for a couple of seconds and then she'll be gone. But um, the stuff he did for Ariel is wonderful. Uh, the stuff he did, um, Jig of Life, is fabulous. Um, they're just, they're great. Uh, Nocturne is spectacular. It's really, he's really worth checking out. He's like a bonafide artist, I, I feel. Awesome. Yeah. It's always cool yeah. to see like the fan made videos for album tracks like this that don't have any other, really any other kind of release. I mean, the song was, wasn't even, it wasn't a B side for no. a single. It wasn't remade for anything. It's just, it's, the end of the dreaming and that's what it's yeah. known as yeah yeah like a, a deep track as they are called now mm-hmm. you know so speaking of just so kind of leading now into like our interpretations of the song i know you've got a lot to say about this i'll keep it yeah, quick for, for, me. <laughs> for me i'll try to be brief i will try to be brief but i have oh, a lot oh it's fine um honestly I've, I have always, I used to see this as somebody who is trying to shut themselves off from the rest of the world yeah. and maybe, and not letting other people get close to them because maybe they've been hurt before. Um, Which makes sense and, and, and really completely accords with what she said about the song. Yep. And I always see this as an opposite of leave it open, where leave it open is about being open mm-hmm. to new experiences. This is, oh, no, 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 no. I've had shit done to me. I am shutting the hell down. And, and that's you're an trying interesting to way to close an album. And, and, you know, you're trying to face your fears. And as we'll talk about with what Kata said, that I didn't realize, like, the ending with that mule, like, I saw that as be somebody being very stubborn. And like, no, I'm not going to let you in. I'm not going to let you in. No, 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 no. And you're trying to, you're being super stubborn and trying to get it to go away. But after mm-hmm. reading quotes from her, as we'll talk about, oh, okay, the ending is supposed to be about like literally turning around and facing your fear. Oh. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of explains like, like God, the ending. I, w- I had it turned way up in my car listening to the ending. And there's just, it sounds like, like broken, like it sounds like woman. Let me in. Yeah. Let me in. Yeah. It sounds like a boss. Like, this is not like a boss type of song. I just, I really like when I'm like walking on the street, kind of like, yeah, bossing along to that.
Yeah, that's how I'd always seen this song. Um, but I, but reading through your notes, I can understand where your your interpretations are gonna kind of come in, like with seeing the house as a body and feeling violated. I mean, there's there's a lots of different levels you can take on this song, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting is that this is known as her song that's about The Shining. And I mean, let's find some of her quotes. She said, The Shining is the only book I've read that has frightened me. Mm -hmm. While reading it, I swamped around, swamped imagery, swamped around in its snowy imagery and avoided visiting certain floors of the big cold hotel, empty for the winter. Um, The central characters are isolated away from anything or anything, but there's something in the place within them. They're not sure what, but it isn't very nice. And um, so the thing that I think I made a mistake of interp- thinking that this song was meant to be literally an adaptation of Shining in the same way the infant kiss is literally an adaptation of the movie, the innocence, but it really is rather in, and I've gotten this more from reading her quotes. It's more inspired by certain ideas in the shining, the novel, not, she's, she's actually not referring to the movie. Um, it's more inspired by ideas in it rather than an adaptation of it, which I find interesting because with the infant kiss, she's literally like, you have these lyrics that sound like they're about like, Hey, are you a pedophile? But it's because she's literally trying to be this character. I believe misbelieved before she was actually speaking from the point of view of Wendy Torrance, um, Jack Torrance's wife. Um, but it seems like what she's really doing is more just taking the, as she said, it's about, it's all, this is a quote from her. Um, it's all about the human as a house. The idea that as more experiences actually get to you, you start learning how to defend yourself from them. The human can be seen as a house where you start putting up shutters at the windows and locking the doors, not letting in certain things like this. Not, sorry, not letting in certain things. Um, which brings me to back to myself. Yes, I have had to decide what I will let in and what I'll have to exclude. And so I think that she kind of was more inspired by scary house imagery of The Shining and also in The Shining how I'm not like a huge Shining fan so I don't know a ton but um, how at the end it's kind of like Jack Torrance and the house are kind of one one you know like he's always says he's always lived like they show the picture at the end where he's always lived there um, as opposed to literally bidding at I had read it as like she's Wendy Torrance telling Jack like you know the famous scene where he's you know here's Johnny with the mm-hmm. app trying to come in um, and that she was literally talking about that, but it's really just more an adaptation of certain ideas it brought up in her. Yeah. Yeah. Cause other than the house imagery, I don't see much of a connection to the shining. I've never read the shining, but I've watched the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I read, I saw a lot of connection in terms of seeing it as being like the man is Jack and the woman is Wendy. Like, mm. but and but at the same time, I find it more interesting that it's not a strict adaptation; it just inspired. And I kind of find it, and I'm a little like embarrassed myself with that. I'm like, oh wow, I really was so simplistic that I thought of it as just a literal adaptation. There's really so much more. I really am glad that I took the time to go on Gaffa Web and read everything she has said about the song. Um, to that, it's really more it's about the human being as a house, and I mean the human beings are housed within bodies. So I read the house as a body. Um, and also that's why it relates to me for the shining, because I read this as about kind of being the intrusion upon a lot of intrusion in general, but especially upon women's bodies. And that's why 
I really highlighted the quote where she says, yes, I bring it back to myself. I have to decide what I will let in and what I'll have to exclude because she is, that's a very, it's very different for a woman to say that, especially a woman who was highly sexualized as she was mm-hmm. um, than a dude. So, um, and also in connect, it, re- it also worked for me as a shining application in part because it's more anecdotal, but it's pretty well known that on the set of The Shining, um, Stanley Kubrick was, and even though, again, it's about the book and not the movie, but it connects because it's pretty well known that Stanley Kubrick was pretty emotionally abusive towards Shelley Duvall. She was like breaking down. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was that he was terrible with all the actors, with everyone. All I could ever do a lot of takes, but apparently she took it really hard. So that's an example of like a man really violating a woman's boundaries. Um, so it just all seemed to come together. And you also had some interesting things about um, the body. I, I Yes. Well, I mean, my main interpretation of the song is, so as I said, it's not really an adaptation of The Shining. It's really more inspired by The Shining and its concept of the house as a haunted and oppressive force. So the way I read the song is about violation of privacy and crushing outside forces. And that can be multiple things. That can be ghosts. Like, he, like, like the straightforward reading is about ghosts. That can be fame. And that's why I like that quote where she says, bring it back to myself. Mm-hmm. Maybe bad male music critics. Maybe. And all the thing is, like, this album has been about, like, a lot of stress and negative things in life. So I read this as the perfect summation of the whole album and the perfect way to conclude it. Because in her own words, she says, I think the essence of the song is about someone trying to run away from things they don't like and not being able to escape because you can't. And pain and negativity and the way that people treat each other badly. So we see throughout the album so much of that. There's war and fault of pin, just general aimlessness, disconnection mm-hmm. from a sense of God or, or purpose in suspended in Gaza, about the, set, the stress of the search for knowledge in um, Sat in Your Lap, of social isolation in All the Love, and that as a result, the narr- the kind of even though there is no one singular narrator of this album, the kind of narrative, like maybe humanity as a whole, needs to transcend the human body slash human existence in order to become, in order to escape all this negativity and oppression. Um, and it's like the and like so as you were saying, you kind of were surprised by what how she interprets the ending. I always read the ending as sad in a way as saying like the interpret the narrator needs to literally escape the body or the self in order to escape the thing oppressing it I, that feels like a source of defeat but then and we'll talk about later she says that it's actually meant to be there's a confrontation and a way to scare it away which i find very powerful but so it's interesting because like in the dreaming intro episode i mentioned a metaphor of the animorphs series any 90s <laughs> kids remember mm-hmm. um where it shows a human being slowly transforming into an animal and i feel like so this album is about all the terrible things in life, but presented really amazingly. And as a result, the only way to get out of them is to actually like escape human life itself and turn into the mute first into the bird. It's interesting because the first, the first line is, let me find it um, about first, before she turns into a mule, I find it interesting that she, she returns to the bird first. Um, where is this? Uh, I will not let you in. Don't you bring back the reveries. I turn into a bird, carry further than the word is heard. Mm -hmm. Woman, let me in. I turn into the wind. I blow you a cold kiss stronger than the cult songs hit. I will not let you in. I face toward the wind. I change into the mule. 
Right. And that's interesting because, as I've discussed a lot throughout other episodes, flying class bird imagery is pretty much the main image that is constantly woven throughout her work. And it's always represented freedom and a way of escape. And a, like, for example, in Night of Swallow and Kite and so many songs. And, um, and then, but turning the bird here doesn't even work. And so the thing that has always worked for her or made her feel able to feel free no longer feels, makes her feel free. And she has to transform to something that Kate Bush herself mm. described in an interview as she had the mule just stupid. She had the mule in our country all represents this stupid animal. So I always read that as very sad in a sense um, that even like the things that have made her feel free in the past don't work anymore. From the Kate Bush Club newsletter, October 1982. The Shining is the only book I've read that has frightened me. While reading it, I swamped around in its snowy imagery and avoided visiting certain floors of the big, cold hotel, empty for the winter. As in Alien, the central characters are isolated, miles or light years away from anyone or anything. But there is something in the place with them. They're not sure what, but it isn't very nice. The setting for this song continues the theme. The house, which is really a human being, has been shut up, locked and bolted, to stop any outside forces from entering. The person has been hurt and has decided to keep everyone out. They plant a concierge at the front door to stop any determined callers from passing, but the thing has gotten into the house upstairs. It's descending in the lift, and now it's approaches the door of the room that you're hiding in. You're cornered, there's no way out, so you turn into a bird and fly away, but the thing changes shape too. You change, it changes. You can't escape, so you turn around and face it, scare it away. Yeah, and, and also, like, with this one, like, she's actually, she's talked about being sort of inspired by The Shining, and yeah. I actually watched the movie a couple months ago just to see it because I was curious, and I didn't mm-hmm. really see a lot of connection between The Shining and this song, necessarily, other than, oh, you're in a kind of a claustrophobic situation, you're in a, and you're, 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 and the house, and the house itself is exerting some kind of influence on you. Yeah, I think. I mean, he's in The Shining. I'm not talking about the book, but in the film, that he's a prisoner of the house, you know, mm-hmm. and the house, the house's um, history or something awful that happened in the house is sort of reliving itself through him he's a vehicle i mean kubrick suggests at the end of that film that he's the reincarnation of this um, murderer you Mm -hmm. know who went crazy back in the day but um but i feel um, like with with uh with that because she since she read the book before before the movie that she liked this idea of a house and things going on in it and it's spooky and and it's going to turn on you and she turned that basic idea into this song and then also added in like oh yeah this is this song is about human a human as a house and the more things happen to you the more right. you like kind of like put your put up walls around yourself right absolutely yeah and yeah yeah I find that it's just again like what what you were talking about like oh you know some singer songwriters it's something it's it's obviously about a romantic relationship you were through no this this is like it's a concept that she has of yeah. people like 
putting up walls and defending themselves from outside forces, which, by the way, feels like a complete opposite of, uh, say, Leave It Open, where Leave It Open yeah. is all about like opening yourself up to new experiences and yeah. at the right time. And this is like, no, shit is going down. I am scared and I don't want anything to do with it. And I'm locking the door of my, of my soul against being hurt, you know? Yeah. You know? So I know uh, within this song, I know there aren't a lot of, it, it is very rhythmic. Like there really isn't, I mean, there's stuff to digest, I think, in the lyrics, but it's a little less about what the lyrics are and more about just that, the, the driving drums in this. Yeah, but, I get lost in the sound a, a lot when I listen mm-hmm. to this song. I'm just... Me too. I, it, 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 I think her lyrics are great, and I think that, um, you know, of course you would publish a book of lyrics, ultimately, saying, you know, here's the here's the words, and, and so many of her lyrics are fabulous, um, but it's the, it's the, the sound of her music is so incredible, like, you get lost in that sometimes, and the words, um, the words matter, but but I, I'm really terrible explaining this. Um, I had this discussion with friends. I, I, I once said about 10 years ago to some friends of mine, I said, you know what? I don't listen to lyrics anymore. Mm-hmm. And they went, what? And, you know, how can you, you know, Bob Dylan and blah, blah. And I was going, well, yeah, Bob Dylan. And I, and I named a few, a few people. I said, I guess I do to a certain extent, but I'm, I've become uh, more fascinated by how words sound than what they mean in the context mm-hmm. of a song. And sometimes when a singer sings, does the kind of thing that she does in this song with the lyric, it, it's just like, where did this come from? This idea of, I'm going to sing these verses in a very sort of, vibra- uh, in, in my natural vibrato, um, very dramatic, uh, almost like a musical. I'm going to do this concierge voice for this part. Uh, I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to pray like a donkey at the end. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm going to, I turn, I'm going to turn into the mule. So now I'm going to do the mule, you know, Hey guys, I'm going to do, you might want to turn the gain on the mic down a bit. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Uh, uh, I become just fascinated with how words sound. And the reason I, uh, I listen to a lot of Quebecois, uh late seventies <laughs> music. Um, mm-hmm. There's uh, some bands, uh, 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 Harmonium and uh, F- uh, Richard Fiori and Richard Seguin. And uh, I don't speak French very well at all. And certainly when I'm listening to it in music, I can pick out some words and translate them, but I generally don't know what I'm listening to unless I Google translate the lyrics. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't care because I just, I'm listening to the arrangements and the instrumentation and the vocal quality of the singers and the whole thing. I'm just totally into that music so much. So I think sometimes even with the English language that happens to me now, I just, I become fascinated with just the sound of the words as opposed to what 
she sang. You know what? I just realized all the love is sort of the same idea. You know? Mm. It's about someone who is not connecting with people anymore and and I'm, you can just leave your message on my answering service. And Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I could, I could kind of see that. I see all the love is more like, oh, trying to let the people you care about know that you care about them before something yeah. bad happens. And yeah. this is, okay, I've either I've been hurt too many times and I don't want to let anybody in to in or... Um, I know one interpretation of this song is about the house being like a woman's body and the idea right. of like a woman trying to fend off, fend off somebody, maybe an unwelcome advance. It could be yeah. like anybody just catcalling you on the street or it could be like somebody trying to hit on you at a bar or something like that. But yeah. The lyrics are, I mean, it's obviously a, a, I mean, with the title alone, get out of my house. It's like, hey, you know, I don't want anything to do with people. Go away. But it's the lyrics are in such a way that you can interpret in many different ways, I think. And I think that they're all valid. I I don't think anyone is, you know, more true than another. And you've got those last few verses where it's a man singing, woman, let me in. I turn into the wind. I blow you a cold kiss stronger than the song's hit. I will not let you in. I face towards the wind. She sings. I change into the mule. So it's, and it's anyway, it's, uh, so that interpretation, you know, can work mm-hmm. there. Definitely. Um, mm-hmm. But so I think that time to get into the more, my kind of so it's interpretation so it's i think it's this, there's this 1982 interview with her where she t- she has some quotes i really like she says the idea is that as more experiences actually get to you you start learning how to defend yourself from them okay think about the metaphor of self-defense mm-hmm. the human can be seen as a house where you start putting up shutters at the windows and locking the doors not letting in certain things i think a lot of people are like this etc so that's sad because people um, yeah, this is the quote I said before, but they do the opposite because they get bruised and cluttered. Like what you said, Stephanie, before about people, someone's being hurt mm-hmm. so much, they have to close those off. And which brings me back to myself. Yes, I've had to decide what I will let in and what I'll have to exclude. Then she says, um, the idea that with this song is that the house is actually a human being who's been hurt. And he, interesting, he, very interesting that she says he, but she mm-hmm. always defaults to that. When to me, the song is so much about being a woman. Um, and he's just locking all the doors and not letting anyone in. The person is so determined to not let anyone in that one of his, again, what are you doing, Kate, personalities is a concierge who sits in the door and says, you're not coming in here. Like real mama. Interesting word choice. Like real mama. Because mm-hmm. after I can get into my reading, which is that, although it's kind of officially about human as house inspired by The Shining, I've always read it even though it's about many forms of intrusion, especially for her as a famous person who didn't really particularly want to be famous, that is such a form of intrusion. I specifically read it as about intrusion of women's bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, th- and I think a- the reason that even occurred to me was because of reading it as a shining inspired song. 
being from Wendy's point of view, which continues her focus from the point of views of marginalized women such as Beth Houdini. So, um, so let's see. So I, it's funny because I was literally a few nights ago having dinner with my friend. Her name is Melissa, and I'm I'm mentioning her because I know a lot of people listening to this are probably also big fans of Joanna Newsom. So I want to put in a little plug for her blog called Blessing All the Birds, which is a feminist interpretation of most of Joanna Newsom's work. And Joanna Newsom herself has actually mentioned that she reads it. So if Kate Bush listens to this, then we'll like, all mm-hmm. be happy. But anyways, if you're a Joanna fan, check that out. We're talking about it. And she goes, so wait, I'll, let me drop a, tr- I should drop a trigger warning that I am going to be talking about race, not in any form of graphic way, but just kind of as a general concept. She just, so Melissa just bluntly says, she's, we're talking about she said, that's her favorite Kate Bush song. She says, yeah, it's about race. And she has a PhD in, Greek, in classics, Greek and Roman. And she was telling me specifically about how, so I texted her, I was like, what are you telling me again? And she said, in the story of Lucretia, oh, I can't pronounce this stuff, sexist, something I can't pronounce, rapes Lucretia. But since we do not see the rape itself, we see the violence and the penetration itself displaced onto other imagery. When sexist enters Lucretia's house, he's entering the representation of her body, her realm, the domestic sphere. This type of symbolism is also very prominent in classical literature, whenever besieging a city happens, since the woman will be raped afterwards. Hmm. Um, so it's interesting that I feel like it just automatically occurred to me that this was a song about violation of women's bodies. And also in the book Adventures in Kate Bush and Theory by Deborah Withers, that's the way she reads it as well. And my friend Melissa read it that way. And so it's, yeah, it just was interesting how that was the first, like, I was like, okay, duh, because especially given the treatment of Kate Bush's body at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, so firstly, she, ever since the taken side, she refers to the womb kind of reductively as the room for the life. So it makes sense to then think of the house as a metaphor for a body within all of her work, because she's doing that literally on her first album, because she's talking about part of the body as a room. And so I don't really necessarily read about race, but what I do read about is doing that intrusion because she was, one of my favorite quotes of hers is from around the time the dream was released, where she said, people weren't even generally aware that I wrote my own songs or played the piano. The media just promoted me as a female body. It's like I've had to prove that I'm an artist entrapped in a female. Mm-hmm. And that, that quote is always what I think of when I listen to this song especially the idea entrapped in a female. So you have to transcend being in a female body in order to be taken seriously or to escape sexualization or in some way. But um, there's just so many countless examples because the thing is that looking from 2019, looking, we see her as like, she's considered a genius, et cetera. But when you read a lot of things that are written about her, when her music was coming out, it's very condescending and often reduces her to her mm-hmm. body. So, for example, in Under the Ivy, there's an anecdote from the producer, and I mentioned this in the intro episode, but I don't think it could be emphasized enough. Um, Tony Visconti, who's best known for his work with David Bowie, he says that he went and she played him songs for the Dreaming. He says something like, I couldn't even remember any of the music, just, quote, the bush bum swaying in his face. And the, even now, the BBC documentary, The Kate Bush Story, I'm, it always really frustrates me how they end with a joke about her last name being Bush. Like, that's literally how you're going to end this documentary to celebrate her career. In 2005, there's an interview, um, radio interview she did, where before the guy starts interviewing her and she's on, he mentions a little nice little anecdote about masturbating to pictures of her as a teenager. 
um, which I'm like, then you're about to interview this. Like, to, to put that into an interview with her to me is so disrespectful. Um, and at the time when the kick inside came out, London was plastered with um, billboards and advertisements with the infamous photos by Gerard Mankiewicz, where you can see her nipples, where she didn't really mm-hmm. object to that because she liked the photos. But as a result, she was highly sexualized. And so, and again, as she said, she, she felt like she was promoted as a female body. Apparently her family was very unhappy with the photos. So I think that it just, it just seems to me so kind of glaringly clear that this song is like the house is the body, especially coming from a woman who has, who has been open about the fact that she feels like she's being reduced to her body and that you have to, the only way to object to escape objectification, intrusion and violation is through literal transformation and transcending the female body and turning into the mule, like turning into something ugly, not even in the human form with this loud bray of rage. Because Mm -hmm. the thing is the mule, she said it's stupid. It's ugly. A woman's body and a woman not being compliant with what's quote unquote allowed is ugly and scares people away. It's like you have to turn into something ugly in order to scare someone away. So in her newsletter, she wrote, you change, it changes, you can't escape. And so you turn around and face it, scare it away. It's like, as the bird is still pretty, you can't scare something away if you're a bird. But the mule, if it's not pretty, it will scare, it'll scare away. And it kind of, I see a lot of that in reactions to this song's rage and scariness, dismissing it as being silly, as proof of that. Um, it's like, I can't handle this. This woman who's supposed to be like a consumable object for me doing something that sounds ugly and sounds wrong and sounds weird. That's not like, how, like, how am I supposed to process this? I'm just going to laugh at it. Right. I find it interesting that, yeah, with winning these quotes, especially as you were talking about them, that, um, that she says the person is so determined not to let anyone in in that one of his personalities. Mm-hmm. I wonder why she goes to male pronouns. Because she, yeah, she's very much, I mean, and this is the problem with her is that she is one of those people who defaults to male as the norm. Like she had that quote around the kick inside where she says that she, when she writes music, she imagines herself sitting at the piano as a man. Um, and she's just the type of person who would refer to like mankind instead of humankind is very much the impression I get. But, um, but I just, it's just interesting because for myself and other women I've spoken to are fans of this song. It's pretty impossible. We have very hard time not seeing this about being, about experiencing life in a woman's body. I mean, you, it's just so hard to walk that. I mean, I live in New York city, so it's a very different experience from a lot of places, but you don't walk down the street without a man cat calling you no matter what you're wearing. There was one time I was literally, it was like 10 degrees. I was wearing a giant winter coat. The literally only part of my body it was showing was my eyes because I had a scarf covering everything else and a hat over there. Literally all I can see my, is my eyes. And I'm walking by this, this construction site and a guy goes, nice eyes. Hmm. <laughs> it just goes to show that you could literally be in anything. And as long as your body is red as female, it's red as consumable for male intrusion and male commentary. Um, so I think that this song is very much about that for me, um, especially, yeah, like people just still reduce her to her body so much, even though they don't realize it. Um, and so let's see, so I have other, I mean, I have, I mean, especially when she says that quote, the one which is his, 
she also says, yes, I do bring it back to myself. So there is something. She's always been open up being uncomfortable with fame. Mm-hmm. And being uncomfortable, she's very private, as you all know. So she's not comfortable with her privacy being intruded on. Interesting, something I just remembered was how it was after 2000, or under when, a stalker was arrested for literally getting into her house. So like talk about get out of my house, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, but so I think that even if this song is necessarily about the body and the way that I read it, being a woman who becomes famous as a result, your body does become considered more consumable by, for the public. And there are things, so there are certain, med- so she taught, she says at one point that um, I'm trying to find the quote where she actually says that the house, is the body um let me just the human can be seen as a house where you start putting up shutters at the windows and locking the doors it is like a house where the windows are the eyes and ears and you don't let people in so right there is a reading where she is referring to parts of the house as parts of the bodies mm-hmm. and so i think it just Kind of, it's for me. It's really hard to not read that as then being about the body. So there's certain things, especially like metaphorically, that relate. Where she says, um, "It says also the fact that the person who is trying to get in doesn't just say let me in' or get me in.' He says, "Woman, let me in.' Mm-hmm. That's so gendered. Um, it, she could have said let me in. It would have, you know, but the fact that she." consciously chose to have to say woman let me in to me but it makes the song lend itself to the interpretation that I have and um and so then in terms of for example the window she says the windows are the eyes you can kind of read cleaning the panes as analogous mm-hmm. to wiping away tears um and there's also just so much in this song about mess and about cleaning mess so she says I clean the stains away I wash the pain which and those act, actions of cleaning, as we'll see later in Mrs. Bartolozzi, actions of household labor are feminine acts, which considered traditionally to be. Um, and so I think that also kind of lends is why the song lends itself to interpretation about being about women's experiences, um, and also just this kind of full of this messiness that you can't contain. And I mean, I don't want to get like, too graphic, but the, like women, you know, women think of there's blood mm-hmm. there there's um tears there's all this excess stuff coming out that you kind of can't and she's trying to contain it in this song and that but some one thing woman let me in they and so for example actually something really striking about this song is that um there's a movie i really love and i mentioned in the full house episode called possession from 1981 and there's a very infamous scene from it um where the character played by Isabella Johnny, she's getting on, she's in a subway station and she basically, I, there is no way to truly describe it. They're really, it's not really describable, but I kind mm-hmm. of feel like this song is the audio version of that scene. And I think I've seen people do mashups of it, but I actually really don't like when people make memes about that scene. Cause that scene to me is like the song expression of specifically women's pain and, um, and sadness in a way and kind of trying to escape something that is taking over them that it can't control. So she ends up having this like freak out where she's slamming against the, the walls and just like, I really can't accept. She's essentially having an exorcism. And then at the very end, all this strange liquids are coming up her body. 
and out of her mouth, out of her ears, and out of her vagina. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that this song is about cleaning up messes. And that, that movie to me is very much about a woman, like about w- women's trauma. And that scene is a very much an expression of it. So the idea of like cleaning up this excess of tears and blood that women do have, that, and then men trying to kind of intrude on that process is very intriguing. Um, and then also, like, as I said, she has to then kind of transcend the, it's like the, and the way I always read it was like, because the, no matter, no, like when I was walking down the street that one time where I was literally covered in every part of my body except my eyes, but still got catcalled. It's almost like there's no way you can escape this intrusion and investigation unless you transcend your body, unless mm-hmm. you no longer have a body, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so that's how I always read the turning into a real is like, I literally have to run away from intrusion by turning into something that will repel. Um, and, but then, but then she still, I read, she said he, but I'm just saying she as her, in terms of the narrator, because the person is there, they're being told woman, let me in, which leads to think that this person speaking as a woman. So she, even when she turns into the mule, the man also turns into the mule. He's still following her. She can't escape. And that's why I always read it as pretty sad, honestly. Um, like no matter, just like we women, no matter what we do, we are not going to escape mm-hmm. being, being violated. Um, but then she has a quote that I, that kind of altered my reading of it quite a bit. Um, where she says that the, the album as a whole is trying to, is that trying to cope, to get through all the shit. I think it was positive showing how certain people approach all these negative things, war, crime, etc. So the ending, and so I think, and then she says that there's the hee-haw, hee-haw, and at the end, you can kind of hear after her final hee-haw, there's a, ah, scream. Mm-hmm. Which I read as, I mean, I don't, again, her warning, but like, I kind of read as like rape almost. Um, but, the way she describes it is that that's her, or the narrator, literally confronting the person and screaming at them so it will go away. And that the only way you can really find any sense of peace or getting rid of your demons or face is to face your demons. And you really have to confront your problems in order to tackle them. And for me, that's really resonant because I'm actually a therapist. And like when clients cry in sessions, things like that, well, you know, I was sick this work isn't comfortable, you know, if you're like the only way to kind of, I have a few clients, I have quite a few clients who have never been in therapy before. It's their first time. And, um, and so they don't really know what to expect. They just think like, okay, my problems are going to get better. I'm going to get better. But you can't really, you have to confront your emotions and the negative thoughts that you're having in order to tackle them in order, you have to be aware of them first. And so I think that this kind of idea of that, she has to literally, once it turns the mule, and the man also turns the mule, just to face towards him and shout at him, and to really confront it is really powerful. It kind of talks about how he must confront negative things to find any sense of peace or to move through it. Although the process of doing so brings up so much change and discomfort. Like I, there's this line that I always use with clients that is literally from a Jillian Michaels workout video, but it's actually so helpful. Where she said, "Send this video to stuck with me." where she said, if you don't get uncomfortable, nothing's going to change. Um, And that's kind of what Kate Bush, in her words, she's trying to say here. 
um, she's saying, like, I'm just going to stand back and yell at this thing and get rid of it instead of continuing to try to run away from it. But again, I was listening to it last night and noticed that even then, after that final scream that she does, Paul Hardiman, you still hear him after. So mm-hmm. it's like she's still not running away. <laughs> she still hasn't gotten rid of it. Um, so I'm just, it's, it's a mix. So, I, so yeah, so her, reading her quotes about it makes me feel more hopeful about the song as opposed to reading a sad. Then when I was listening to it, I'm like, but he's still at her. He still won't go away. Um, and it's funny because they're also connected in the previous song, Houdini, my my favorite line where she says, I want this man to go away now. Yeah. Like this song is really the, this song to me is the ultimate, I want this man to go away now statement. And it's also to me, a big fuck you to the music industry and to the way that she has been treated within the music industry because she did not sign up. She so she signed up to be, she sees herself as a writer. She signed up to put out things that are close to her heart. She did not sign up to be sexualized. She did not sign up to be objectified. And she still is. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is basically saying, like, I'm going to scare you to so that you'll go the hell away. Mm-hmm. And you might laugh at it and you might think it's ridiculous and dismiss me, but I'm just going to do this because it feels right. And to me, that's really, it's a little sad in a way that you feel like you have to do something. You sort of literally scare people off to get them rid of them. But at the same time, it's really powerful to see a woman not afraid to sound completely ridiculous and completely odd and bizarre and that's really freeing as i said in the last episode like i I see this album as being really freeing for what women in music are able to do Mm -hmm. yeah like and that like with the diamanda gloss reference that i had before like that to me is kind of more so because she's it as it makes this look like britney spears as i said like that is some what like if you look it's really short you can look up on youtube uh, it's like a half hour piece of music, um, Lydney to Satan. But this is about like kind of, well, I'm not going to sound pretty. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do, this whole album is her thing. I'm going to do everything on my own terms. I don't care what other people think. I don't care what my record label thinks. I'm going to, even in 1985, still say that I love this album and still say that I'm proud of it. Um, even though it didn't perform as well commercially. Like, it, there's a really funny quote where, when I was going to Gaffer Web, where someone said, when she was doing Counts of Love, oh, well, the dreaming, you know, didn't really perform well. She says, well, it went to number three, so mm-hmm. I don't know if you can say that. So she's, all that matters to her is, like, that she was satisfied with it. And I think that's really, really empowering. so much for being here to to talk about um get out of my house today was really great to talk to you and uh yeah getting to talk about this epic song oh my god (laughs) thank you so much (laughs) yeah i think we've pretty much covered it i think so yeah i think we've we've got everything i've gotten everything about this song as always thank you so much for being on the show today and talking about one of your favorite songs and especially mm, yeah. a song like this, like my goodness. Yeah. I'm just really honored to get the chance to talk about the song. It's meant so much to me for so many years. And because I think it speaks to a really important experience. that doesn't get talked about. And yeah. And it's the final song in the dreaming, my favorite album mm-hmm. of all time. So it's just, I feel a little like the club. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, we're finishing the dreaming. Oh. <laughs> I don't want to finish it. Um, it's just been such a wonderful pleasure and honor being able to do the show because I'm going to continue to guest host stuff on it. But um, 
definitely her first four albums are the ones that are that mean the most to me and that I like the most. So I will not be annoying y'all as much anymore because <laughs> oh. I won't get to be on as many episodes. It's kind of harder to talk about things you're not pas- as passionate about. So it's, I, it, it is sad for me that I'm not probably going to be on as many episodes going forward. So I really love doing this. I really love digging into her music um, and being able to to really connect, like to offer perspectives that I feel like don't get shared off don't get offered much in a very male dominated straight male dominated music criticism scene. Like, I don't think that you'll read many now, anal- like outside of out of the book, um, adventures in Kate Bush and theory, I have not really read any analyses of this song that relate to violation of women's bodies. Whereas when I talk to my female friends, or I, don't see, I don't like to use working female. It's weird. Um, when I talk to women friends about it, they pretty much all agree that that's what the song is about. So I'm just honored to be able to offer like a kind of, I guess, non-traditional perspective on her music and happy to do so anytime. Of course. Yeah, you're always welcome on the show, as always. Thank you. Yeah. Well, yeah, so so we're wrapping up the dreaming. And if anyone has any thoughts on this song or on the dreaming as a whole, uh, feel free to respond to us on the interwebs or whatever. And and yeah, and, and you can also go back and like, yeah, I encourage you all to go back and like listen to all the past seasons too, while you're waiting for Hounds of Love season, because there's Jeez. plentiful of riches. We've done a lot of beef. Like me and Cecily, we did an episode about a song called Magician, which is a totally like very <laughs> little known B side, but we like it's a really good episode. You know, I there's, know. there's plenty to go into. So and Empty Bullring is a really good episode of, of a very little known B side, um, and warm and soothing too. You know, there's a lot. So yes. go back and listen to everything and subscribe on Patreon. Indeed. So if you want to support the show. Even just starting at a dollar a month, mm-hmm. any little thing helps, guys. Go to patreon.com slash Kate Bush Podcast. I know I have a bumper at the beginning of this episode with the, hey, we have a Patreon, but I'm just trying to reminding you guys. Well, it's kind of like how Get Out of My House, like, open, has a very, like, opening and, like, intro and outro. You're going to intro and outro with it. <laughs> exactly. But, yeah, because, yeah, you can, y'all can be, like, literally a dollar. The way I kind of see it is, like, if I'm, like, consuming something as a consumer, I like to be able to, like, show that I, like, to help make it be made. Does that make sense? Exactly. So, yeah, even you can give literally a dollar a month because I don't have a lot of money, but I, I think I just give a few dollars a month, but it's nice you'll do it. And you also get extra stuff. I think Stephanie and I are going to be doing, like, some, like, recordings about, yes. like, one-off Kate Bush performances and stuff that you can only hear on Patreon. And, mm-hmm. like, that'll be fun for you. <laughs> I know. Because the one, the main one I want to do is the Tour of Life one. So there, I know there's a fan edit out there that has the Hammersmith Odeon, and uh, stuff interspersed with uh, bootleg footage. Mm-hmm. And so it's a whole fucking show. And I'm like, girl, we need to sit back and do a commentary on this. And that is only going to be available on Patreon. Of course, I'll be tweeting yeah. about um, when it'll be Unless it's going to be nice, but like... Yeah. No, you guys should pay. No, I'm, I'm being mean. I'm being mean. <laughs> Not like, like, it's real. A lot of, like, actually, what's been really lovely to see is people who have like contacted me about this to our teenagers who mm-hmm. were listening to it oh cool um yeah so i mean i yeah if you you'll feel from an income you can't really contribute but um also when you're a teenager everyone paying things for things for you so <laughs> as opposed to being an adult when you have your bills but um but yeah it's been really cool to see like actual teenagers be like oh yeah i like found you on the interwebs because of listening to strange phenomena it's like oh that's cool um 
it's really nice to see how like people of all ages and even on your podcast you've had people of all ages come on I always felt like I was like a younger Kate Bush fan but you've had people who are Mm -hmm. like 18 on the show and then there are people who went to the tour of life who are much older so it's really cool to see the spectrum of the fan base and all over the world too like I've had Mm -hmm. a lot I've had a lot of Americans and and but I've had um I've had one lady from Denmark. I had somebody from Australia. I did have somebody from Brit. I actually, uh, Graham Thompson, I talked to him from Scotland. I talked with Alex Dale from Britain. And by the way, British fans, if you're listening, we'd love to have a lot of British perspectives coming on the show. We'd love to hear from yeah, you guys. Yeah, especially if you were around, like, with us no. talking about, like, the sexualization of her body. It's something that's very, like, you can see it just based on interviews and old footage. But, like, if you saw those billboards, I want to hear about that experience. Mm-hmm. And apparently, like, you know, people said, like, I actually, I remember had a coworker at a former job who was British in his, like, late 40s. And when he learned about Kate Bush, yeah, he remembered, like, after she was on top of the pasta the first time, like, all the schoolboys were talking at her in the yard the next day. Oh. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. Wow, we're already done with a set of album tracks. Now just the B-sides left to go. Those will be coming out in a couple of weeks, and I'm super excited about those. Now, if there's something about this week's song that we didn't get to in our discussion, or if you have a favorite, favorite song that you want to talk about for another episode... You can find me on Twitter at StrangeCakeCast, on the web, kbcast.linkmedia.com. Email me, kbcast at linkmedia.com. That's link with an E. And on Facebook, facebook.com slash katebushpodcast. Like I said, in a couple weeks, we're going to start the B-side episodes, and there will also be a Let the Weirdness In number two. So that will be my fan mailbag episode. we got a lot of really cool stuff coming in a couple weeks. And then on to Hounds of Love. So we'll see everybody in a couple weeks for some B-Sides. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.